Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another one of our Twitter live spaces here on The Breakdown. This week's going to be a little bit weird, um, not only because we have obviously a pretty major event that has occurred over the weekend in regards to Canadian and Alberta politics, but it's also going to be a little bit weird because even if we ignored the catastrophic event that we've seen uh, unfold, not just in Ottawa, um, but quite frankly, across the country, um, where we've seen a bunch of other different events pop up, and we've seen these things happen. Um, this is, even if we ignored all of that, I actually have a list of topics that I've been preparing for the literally the last seven days that I wanted to address about Alberta politics specific stuff. And that list is about 15 items long. And so the odds are very, very good that tonight's uh, spaces and the podcast version of the spaces is going to go much longer than we would normally do simply because we have so much that we really do have to talk about. Obviously, we're going to start things off with uh, a bit of a discussion about the the convoy, uh, because not only is it really, really important to do that, but I think that we have a responsibility as people who have a platform to speak out against a lot of the things that we've seen unfold this weekend. But we're also going to try to get through a lot of the other events that went on specific to Alberta politics, um, just because there's a whole lot that happened. And there was some good things that happened this week. So we're going to end with the good things and once we get through sort of the official ranty part uh then we'll we'll hopefully uh, as always if anybody has any any comments that they want to add or if they want to challenge some of the things that we've said here then just raise your hand let us know that you want to make a comment and we will uh we'll, we'll we would love to hear what you have to say i want to start out before we get to the the thing proper though because i don't want sarah uh, who is, as always, the, the co-host and foil for my particular brand of rage. Um, I don't want her to have to wear what I'm, I want to say. Uh, and if she wants to wear it after, by all means, but I don't want to throw her under the bus. So I'm going to do a little bit of a, a, a starting rant here because I think there's some things that need to be, need to be said uh, and... So I'm just going to try to say some of them. Um, what we saw unfold in Ottawa and what we saw unfold across Canada over the last, well, over the last particularly 24 hours, uh, but over the last week as this convoy has been making their way to Ottawa is nothing short of a national embarrassment. Now, there are some people who have tried to defend this convoy by saying that they're advocating for freedom, or they're advocating for unity, or they're advocating for Canada, and none of those things are true. Here's a bottom line 
And this is something that's been echoed across social media. And it's something that I think that we all need to do a better job of communicating. If you are standing in the same rally as somebody who is holding up a swastika and you're not doing everything that you can to either remove yourself from that situation or remove that swastika from that situation, you are complicit. I don't care if you're just a bystander. I don't care if you're a member of parliament. If you're in that environment where symbols that are being misappropriated grotesquely in a way that has been condemned almost universally, it is worth pointing out that Germany has made the use of some of these symbols a crime and a secondary uh, hate act of anti-Semitism. Just to walk around with a gold star is considered that because that's how offensive these symbols are. And this is Germany that's doing that. So these are the people who are up close, who have a very, very informed historical awareness of just how misappropriated these symbols are being. If you're not doing everything that you can to make sure that those symbols aren't being misappropriated and exploited at the harm of the people who lived through those things, you are absolutely complicit. That needs to be made absolutely clear because I'm tired of seeing the excuses that we are seeing across the board from so many people who are trying to spin this rally into something that it's not. Let's be very clear. It's been well documented since day one that the key figures, a lot of the key figures who are involved in this rally are people who have a strong and long history of white supremacy. These are people who have a strong and long history of divisive politics. These are people who have a strong and long history of appropriating First Nations issues to try to use as a shield to make their incredibly offensive and odious positions even more defensible. And it's not okay. We are fueling something dangerous right now, Canada. And here's an important thing that we all have to be aware of. These people have no problems taking to social media and espousing these views and then hedging them under the guise of unity when they're the ones that are sowing division. They have no problem lying. They have no problem fabricating stories. I had somebody on one of my social media feeds share a video a couple of days ago, or sorry, yesterday, that they claimed was affiliated with the rally and that Canada had kick-started off these protests all across the world. And when I pointed out that the video that they were sharing was actually a video of a farmer's protest in Germany from a year and a half ago, they said, and I provided all of the proof, they said, history's happening. You can choose to see it or not. This is not about facts. This is is not about freedoms. This is about people wanting the ability to do whatever they want without consequence. And that is not the foundation of any stable society. We need to be calling this out left, right, and center. And we need to be calling out the people that are supporting it. Because right now, we are seeing a rise of something extremely dangerous. And if we don't shut it down, I've spent my weekend reading interviews and comments with people who have survived atrocities and genocides across the world. And all of these people are universally saying something very dangerous is happening right now. So we need to all be paying very close attention to it and not tolerating it. Don't let people try to, especially when the Truckers Association has said this rally does not represent our people. This is a misappropriation of 
almost everything that they've talked about, and they are weaponizing First Nations issues. They are weaponizing supply chain issues in order to try to get people to buy into their stuff and, quite frankly, give them money. The fact that the GoFundMe raised as much money as it did is profoundly disappointing to me, but it also speaks to the fact that this thing runs a lot deeper. And the last thing that we want I want to see as a Canadian is to see these sorts of things normalized. They desecrated the Terry Fox statue. They desecrated the tomb of the unknown soldier and they flew Nazi flags in front of the Parliament of Canada. This is the reality. And we all need to do our very best to make sure that for those of us to whom this is unacceptable, it is known by everybody in our circles that this is unacceptable. And I get that it's really difficult to do that in a lot of areas because people are trying to defend these issues using a variety of tactics. But the reality is that's our obligation and that's our patriotic duty to do. So. With that rant out of the way, I want to welcome to the show our co-host, Sarah Biggs. Sarah, how are you doing tonight? I'm okay. How are you? Well, I'm a little fired up tonight. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, I, I lost a lot of friends this weekend. I, I think I successfully alienated a lot of people. I, I'm yeah. hoping that I'll be able to alienate some more with tonight's show and when the podcast goes live. Uh, because I tried to stay quiet on the matter because... I didn't want, how can I say, I do not have the emotional room right now to deal with all of the, those supposedly right-wing populists just attacking me. I did not have the mental capacity for, to do that this weekend. Um, it's extremely disappointing. It's extremely... When you see, so here's the thing. Friday night, I was playing with poker with some friends and I did express. So I was like, you know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about when they're going to get to Ottawa, they're going to go to Rideau Hall, crash the gate and go for Rideau Cottage. I was like, what is going to happen is that they will take Mr. Trudeau out of the city. They're probably going to put him at the cabin um, and the Parc Leggett's no. Or they're going to be putting him to safety because there is a real threat. Those people are dangerous. So what do we know Saturday? Trudeau's been put away in safety with his family. Okay. It's how many times, minus the shooting on Parliament Hill, how many times has had that happen? How many times as a country... Did we have to talk in between friends to say, you know what? I'm worried about our prime minister's security. Why did the leader of the opposition took so long to react and try to dissociate himself from all of that shit show after arguing with Justin Ling on Friday during question period? Why is Mr. Kenny, who is busy doing heavy bracket business in the States, trying to convince Joe Biden to, you know, can you please let go of the vaccine mandate? Why did he decide just today to call them out? 
when he said he was supporting them all week? How, why did it take them so long to just like show up bill one and put it in their faces? Let's be honest, there won't be any actions taken. We all know that. It's all, it's purely performative at this point. Because the people who are protesting out there are white people. And Bill 1, I'm sorry, will not be used against them. Bill 1 is a performative act based on trying to stop some protests Uh, from some very, very, very specific communities. Black Lives Matter, the indigenous movement. I'm sorry, I I guess the city of Coos doesn't have enough pipelines to protect, so they didn't care. What is happening? I was looking at videos, so I kept an eye on the French news this weekend. And there's a, the Yellow Vester movement in uh, Western Canada and Quebec, it's called the the Billets Jaunes. So kind of the yellow tickets, and they took Aboriginal drums from the drums and were saying yabba dabba do on top of it. So for seven years, I was an air cadet. For seven years, every November 11th, I was standing of the unknown soldier in Ottawa at minus 15 outside every remembrance day and yesterday when I see a bunch of jackasses flying around a goddamn Quebec flag and walking on that tomb that's why I moved out because what we saw yesterday is a very small sample of a movement that is everywhere and today as well. For those guys who cannot be fucking prepared to go to the Shepherds of Hope and threaten them and bully them and intimidate them to get food because they can't get their head out of their asses, what's happening? Well, and you bring up the Shepherds of Hope, and I don't want to—I don't, don't want to interrupt your role, so but they. Upset. They they also assaulted a homeless person at they that did. soup kitchen, and then when a security guard went to assist them, that security guard received a boatload of racial ep- uh, racial epithets. And so this is and this is my fundamental thing. Even if you're somebody who wants to fully commit to the idea that this convoy had anything to do with unity or peace or anything like that. There is no question in my mind that every single Canadian should be able to condemn the assault of homeless people, should be able to condemn the desecration of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the desecration of the Terry Fox Memorial. And I mean, one of the other one of the other stories that I saw, I have a list of all of the things that that I'm just livid about with this. But one of the other things that I saw, somebody literally died. There was an ambulance yeah, that was trying to get. Yeah, 45 minutes, and that person could have survived because it was and a 10 minutes ride. Yeah. They died because these people wouldn't get out of the way. Yeah, I saw it too. So if that can't be condemned universally, then that tells you what's really going on here. So 
here's the interesting thing. I was in Ottawa two months ago. My uh, mother's husband was in charge of the prime minister's security. And all the visiting officials and all of that for the RCMP. And we were walking around uh, the tomb of soldier. I uh, showed it to my daughters. Then we went to Parliament Hill. We went to look at the flame. Then we walked around. And uh, my nine years old looked at my stepdad. And she was like, well, what happens if everybody's blocking the streets? And there's an emergency and you can't go through. So usually the way Wellington is designed is that the sidewalks are wide enough for an emergency vehicle to go through. They kind of planned all of that like in the uh, development. So it, just to give you an idea, for an emergency vehicle not to be able to pass on Wellington, those guys were spread from one wall to the other across the street. And this is bad. And the, it's, I can't even, like... And there's no way that you can't hear the siren. I mean, that's the other piece that that is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Even if we're talking about a, an incredibly dense crowd, as somebody who has had to navigate an ambulance uh, through incredibly dense crowds, people, reasonable people... People who want to support each other get out of the way and they do it in a hurry. Um, so for this person to have lost their life because these idiots were throwing a temper tantrum and they refused to get out of the way for an ambulance. That that to me is one of many examples that I think sums up just how how ugly this moment in Canadian history truly is. Um, but there's another piece that I really want to make sure that we talk about, um, mm -hmm. in regards to this event, because it kind of got overlooked. And that to me is not only heartbreaking, but it's symbolic of the problems that we're currently trying to navigate as a nation. This weekend was the anniversary of an incredibly tragic moment in Canadian history. I'm talking about the Quebec mosque shooting. And there was a vigil that was planned to memorialize that and recognize the loss of life that occurred there. That was the result of a hate crime. So we're a little bit on brand right now. That vigil had to be canceled because of safety concerns. So the recognition of a hate crime had to be canceled because these people are behaving so poorly and they presented such a risk to so many people that that event had to get shut down. That to me is absolutely heartbreaking, like I said. And it's, again, this was not a peaceful protest. A peaceful protest doesn't see the prime minister moved out. A peaceful protest doesn't see the tomb of the unknown soldier desecrated. A peaceful protest does not see a vigil for a national tragedy that is symbolic of some of the serious racist, racist issues that we have in this country right now getting shut down. And I haven't seen from any of the political leaders. I see that Mr. Kenny finally put out a tweet at three o'clock this afternoon where he condemned only 
the desecration for the war memorial and the tomb of the unknown soldier that's all he condemned yeah so far publicly there's a whole lot more to be condemned here but he didn't seem to want to be the person to do that today nor did Aaron O'Toole Aaron O'Toole yesterday was dealing with the dumpster fire a lot of his uh, MPs were on the hill sympathizing with the public uh, mingling with the public and yesterday was later in the day he has released a statement um, and it was too little too late and a buck short I gotta I gotta just add one more thing here we just received yeah. a, a DM and I, I have to say I don't know if this is accurate this is just a DM that we've received from someone um, but they're saying that the ambulance was apparently intentionally blocked as trucks moved into the way of it when it tried to get through. We'll hear more about this week. Oh, we for sure. Right we'll now, sure. they're not official accounts. They're not official reporting. Yeah. I imagine that the mayor and um, Ottawa police will be uh, releasing a statement tomorrow. Um, but if it's true, shame on them. Well, and it's. I think there's plenty enough to say shame on them for yeah. all of the all of the things that they they did here. There's one it other was thing. A bad weekend. It was a bad weekend. There was one other thing that that we talked about as a team that I want to uh, make sure that I I highlight again. And honestly, I want to apologize for. There was an image. The 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 truckers parting the sea image that was floating around with the the giant sharks in the water and the um, burning cross and the burning the cross with the burning white flames mm -hmm. so this was an image that has not only been shared widely across social media and i'll be honest i've talked to a couple of the people who help run the account here nobody noticed the cross uh, and we did issue a statement apologizing that we amplified it because the last thing that we wanted to do i mean we were making fun of it um but we don't want to be responsible for sharing images of, of, of that nature un, unintentionally or well, obviously not intentionally. Um, but that, that has now been monetized at length and the fact that that was included, and it's also been brought to my attention that the sharks in the, the image were great white sharks. Um, so you, there's, if, if you want to take one thing I want to say before we move on or try to move on from this uh is there is a a really great twitter account we interviewed kurt phillips with uh the um our collective uh and he's a board member of anti-hate.ca um he does an incredible job of sort of documenting all of the things that were going on that were undeniably uh, racist and hateful that occurred with this convoy you can follow him at at ARC Collective, um, and if you want to get a get a look at what the underbelly of this thing really looks like, spend a little bit of time uh, going through his timeline for the last 24, 48 hours because it really does. There's there's no getting around the fact that this was as much as like I said earlier, as much as people want to want to color it as being a peaceful unity rally, it was anything but the key organizers are anything but. So I don't know, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that particular topic, Sarah, uh, before we move on into the 
Not really. I I think I'm going to behave because uh the the Olsen Molson and Biggs is listening right now. Uh oh. Uh oh. No. Uh no, because I need to digest it. Um. To, uh, I need to digest it for a few days. Maybe I'll get back on it next week. But I suspect I suspect we'll probably continue it, to see revelations over the next week that we will definitely want to be following up on. It's but it's pretty raw, and I don't really have anything nice that is would be PG thirteen to say. Well, it's, uh, I'm I'm the not PG thirteen part of the show. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think it is important. You brought up the fact that Mr. Kenny did issue a tepid, lukewarm statement, um, but he did not address the fact that while he is off in Washington D.C. having the best road trip ever, trademark. Um, we're having our own little border crisis here in Alberta, in Coots, uh, where a group of these same yo-yos have blocked the border crossing at Coots, which is incredibly dissonant to begin with, because you have a group of people that are arguing that we need to make sure that we have a protected supply chain. We need to have a consistent flow of goods across the border. So what are we going to do? Ah, we're going to block the border. Um, if ever there was a piece of infrastructure that Bill won, if it wasn't just a, quite frankly, racist dog whistle, um, should be implemented on, one would think ensuring that the borders are able to have traffic flowing through them would be one of those pieces. But as you pointed out earlier, Sarah, that hasn't happened. But it, the whole coot situation gets even more ridiculous and this is on my list of things that I, I wanted to talk about that are Alberta specific because we had a UCP MLA not only declare support for that effort but he took his own truck oh, and his grandkids no this wasn't Getson this was uh because oh, Getson took his truck too did he take okay well there's two of them then so that's oh, great yeah um, he drove his Kenworth somewhere <laughs> Um, yeah, no, the, this, we have UCP MLAs who are at least one for sure, maybe two, it sounds like, I knew but one I for probably sure. probably missed that one. Um, that was, uh, Grant Hunter who took his truck Oh, down. yes. Um, and his kids and his grandkids to be a part of the, whatever the hell we're calling this thing now. Um, UCP MLAs are part of that blockade that's shutting down the border right now. Sarah. If you were a comms person for the UCP government, how mm -hmm. do you navigate that shit show? <laughs> uh, you really hate me, do you? Um, <laughs> well, You asked the premier to not put on social media that he's meeting with the with Montana's governor to try to resolve the issue at the border, because uh, this is his own doing. This is not any issue from the state of Montana side. Um, B, uh, you should have as soon as it started to happen on Saturday. It could have been intense, but Mr. Kenny should have flown back. I don't think it was appropriate for him to go to Washington this weekend, um, especially that the non-travel order was lifted two days ago before he was, 
it was lifted on Tuesday. He left on Thursday, right after his press conference. Um, and then you get on it, you get um, all the facts, and then you release a statement as soon as you can. They waited too long. Again, I, yes. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but I wondered. Like, here's here's the thing, and this is why I I, I cannot wrap my head around what kind of strategy you would use to mitigate. Not only did Grant Hunter go down there, yeah. not only did he drive his truck down to the border crossing, not only did he support but it. You get Kenny he, back, you call your MLAs back. That's it. it I, that's really all I think you can do, right? It's all you can do. Fly back, Kenny, call your MLAs back, and look at them and be like, please sit pretty. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Call them back. And if they don't listen, well, there could be consequences because choices have consequences, right? Because this is all what it is of. Um, and then you issue a solid statement saying that Bill 1 will be applied. Not that they hope that uh, the police force will be enforcing Bill 1. Um, you call on the authorities to use Bill 1 and clear the border. This should have not... How in hell do you justify a city being gridlocked for 36 hours? You can't. You do not. The inaction... What time did the government statement came out? 2 o'clock this afternoon? 3 o'clock? The one from Kenya came out at 3. Yeah. So why did it wait until 3 p.m.? It's Sunday. Everybody's going home. There's going to be little to no impact on the situation. It's almost if they... But I can't really say that, but I'm going to say it. So I would love to ask the question, did they release that statement that late on purpose? Well, I think they would have had to. I mean, to, to be completely yeah. subjective. Because this was a scheduled event. The concerns surrounding the organizers. I mean, the 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 mosque vigil, vigil was was canceled uh, well in advance. Um, the we've seen the reports yesterday of the the violence and the the desecration that occurred there. We we've seen the reports last night from the 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 soup kitchen. There was mm -hmm. plenty of time. I mean, I know it is beyond my understanding how. I'll put it this way. It took a lot less time for the leader of the opposition in Alberta to put together a strongly worded statement mm -hmm. condemning not just the the convoy and the Coots border crossing, but the undertones. Uh, well, the I, I don't know if we can call them even under the tones, I guess, of, of racism in this whole event. Um that came out fairly quickly, and we saw as well uh, NDP MLAs were all over things today where they were talking about, well, this UCP MLA was part of the convoy or attended the convoy or has posed for pictures with their grandkids in front of the line of trucks expressing support. The NDP were very, very quick. So why the government? Why the ruling party, who has significantly more resources, wouldn't be able to put 
together some sort of coherent plan as yeah. to how they're going to address this. That's what I don't understand. That's the thing that blows my mind the most is that we have we have people who are significantly less resourced who have been able to respond quickly and more effectively than the government. And I can't wrap my head around why. It's their base. And that's the that's the truth. That's the bottom line right there. Yeah. So from a communication okay so we need to look at into leadership review is in two months and nine days yes um mr kenny is seems to be more focused on winning his leadership review than dealing with current affairs in the province um, Maybe he should it's... have he should have come and clean his mess, pick up his Emily's and send him home. That's really that's the bottom line. It's that it 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 baffles me that how little leadership. So who was in charge when Kenny was away this weekend? I. That's a very good question. I imagine the official answer was going to be Mr. Kenny was in contact with. Uh, all of his cabinet ministers constantly, and there was never a a gap in his yeah whatever yeah. So also side note, um, Saskatchewan's restrictions are being lifted on February twenty eighth. My bath of March fifteenth still holds. There we go. They are busy trying to gear up for re-election. And they will be focusing on the issues that matters to their base. And they will try to not upset their base. So that's going to be the strategy for the next 15 months. That sounds tragically accurate. I want to talk about, let's let's move our, our way back into the Alberta politics realm. Because uh, we did the coots, we did that. Uh, we have one more little topic that I think is uh, loosely related to the shit show that we've seen over the last couple of days. And this, I was going through the events of the last week, and I couldn't believe how far away this felt. But it was only a couple of days ago that we saw multiple members of the UCP uh, government and their staffers, hey Brock, um, tweeting out pictures of fake food shortages. Yeah. So this is another one where the where the communication strategy to me is like I don't understand because it turned it, it, it the backlash on it was so clear and complete on social media where people were l- deliberately going out to their grocery stores and taking pictures of how full the shelves were um, and offering corrections on well the reason why you can't get Rice Krispies is because there was a strike. Uh, it has nothing to do with any sort of supply chain issue other than people wanted to get paid fairly. Um, How does, here's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. So you're a, the, the senior communications advisor to the premier. What makes you decide (laughs) to post pictures that are completely unverified and then, send those out into the universe and then have your boss double down because yeah. Mr. Mr. Kenny tweeted out his own, 
where he tweeted uh, shelves that held the signage 100% Alberta beef and 100% Canadian chicken, which at that point, you've kind of lost the plot in arguing that these or are the happening prices because of and border pounds. stuffs. Or the, the prices in pounds. Um, it's a dead cat on the table. <laughs> so... So, you know, last week when I wanted to discuss with you about controlling your narrative. Yes. And um, the UCP is really good at creating their own narrative, trying to control it and double down on it. When you are in your own echo chamber and you are drinking the Kool-Aid with three extra cups of sugar in it, uh, it makes you do silly things. It's they are such. I would say that a lot of those com staff are such in a very tight bubble, and they believe so strongly the narrative that they've been trying to get Albertans to believe that they feel forced to double down on it because they're trying to convince themselves it's still happening. So when we are talking, like I said last week, you control your narrative. You take control of the news cycle. You can run your story for a few days. You can try to sell the story to the province. And then, uh, I don't know who has the password to the premier's account. I suspect it would be Brock or another staffer. Um, so did Jason Kenny double down on it? Looks like it. Is it him that pushed the send button? I don't think so. Um, the guy's too busy to tweet his own stuff. Like, let's be honest here. Well, that's what comm staff are for. Exactly. So this is the perfect representation of controlling your narrative and being in a very, very, very tight and small echo chamber. I think the the funny part to me though is that the the narrative was as empty as the pictures of the shelves that they they posted. Yeah, but uh, we had a bad week. So if you look at it, at everything that happened, on Monday, they announced that we have 54 people that passed over the weekend. Um, positivity in Calgary was over 50%. Uh, there was a lot of kids that don't have their masks nor their tests yet. The B2 variant is in the province now. Um, so I think that they tried to take over the news cycle to try to manipulate it in a way that it would not solely be focused on COVID and the mismanagement. Our hospitals are at a all-time high. We have field hospitals now. Uh, our nurses are burning out more than ever. So from my humble opinion, professional or non-professional, you decide. Uh, I believe that they decided to try to start the week by controlling a narrative and everybody would be upset at this and would lose focus on everything else because that's really what happened for about two, three days. Well, and then we had the whole convoy thing, which caused exactly. And then the convoy well. took over, but was COVID very, very present this week, Nate? No, it was not. Exactly. So that's what I say about you take control. You take control of your narrative. You want to control what goes in the news. So that's why your comms 
that's why the comms are doing such thing. They're trying to create the narrative that they will be able to handle. They don't care if everybody's going to go after them for empty shelves. They might not like so much that everybody's going after them because they have 50, 54 deaths on their hands on the weekend. Well, tomorrow's Monday, so we're going to find out what this weekend was like. We yeah. seem to have a bit of a pattern, I've noticed, where a lot of our speakers uh, have animal animal profiles. Uh, Sean Dunn with the penguin. What's going on? <laughs> hey, Nate. Um, as you know, I am not actually an animal. Um, I am a real person, but... Uh, uh, yeah, your, part... your, your profile picture leads me to believe otherwise. It, it, yeah, the internet doesn't lie. Um <laughs> You know, I, I have to really point out what Sandy Garasino from the National Observer, um, I think very uh, uh, poignantly pointed out that, you know, you can't observe this without thinking about the internal CPC politics. Um, the, everything from the empty store shelves to how it evolved into the whole trucker thing, um, it goes back to the challenge to O'Toole's leadership. Um, and because if you look at the timeline of things, like it actually, this whole empty shelves thing originated out of the GOP in the States. Like you can look back at tweets from about 14 January where um, uh, Madison Cawthorn in the, in the States started talking about like, you know, empty shelves, Biden, um, and a lot of kind of the right wing figures in the States picked up this empty, empty shelves, Biden narrative. And then you have Pierre Polyevre pick up the same narrative and then it, at that point it kind of became this uh you know the the kids game where you try to get your you know you're playing the game of who can get their their hand on top of each other in this like game of outflanking and uh it, it escalated to that point where uh you saw um brock uh brock retweet uh pierre you saw um uh, andrew Shear retweet pierre and um then you see uh, O'Toole have to try and, you know, try and outflank. And then, so I think it's, I think we're, what we're really seeing is internal CPC politics kind of spilling out into the national sphere um, to kind of tragic, uh, tragic consequences. So, I mean, that's my, that'd be my take on it is I think um, Sandy was, was very astute in, in kind of pointing that out. Um, and if you go back and look at the timeline and the series of tweets and how this played out, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Everything makes sense. That's even that, if it does not. Yeah, there's always. Sense. I, I got to say thank you for that, John, because yeah, I thanks. had, I honestly had no idea <laughs> that this was yet another UCP playing the "but we weirdly wish we were Republicans" card. I had missed that. That was a whole. I, I, I try not. I'm so busy with Alberta politics. I very rarely pay attention to American politics. So thank you for for bringing some, putting some light on that. That's very appreciated. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Mr. Kenny's trip to D.C. and his mm -hmm. love of all things American, um, there was a little piece that came out that I thought was also quite fascinating. And it's the fact that Mr. Kenny made a big production out of the fact that this was a last minute trip that he was, and his words, not mine, signaled to attend by other governors. I don't know what that means. Like, if I want somebody to come to a thing, I will say, hey, you should come to a thing or I'll, I'll send like an invitation. But I don't know, like, signal, that sounds just a little bit He too got much. the bat signal. That's like a bad, like, that's, that's what the, leads people to the, hit on people badly. He received the pigeon. And it was like, come to our party. This is going to be great. No, I, I would love to FOIP to see when tickets reservation were made. Oh, don't think that we're not going to be doing that. <laughs> um, at this point, 
I'm just really looking at this point. I'm really focusing on the outcome, but then not it's... on the why he got there. I at this point, I we need to really focus on what will what will be brought to the province and what consequences we will be facing after this trip. I he's friends. It's not unknown that he's friends with every single Republican out there. Ted Cruz, uh, Montana, North Dakota. I forgot their name. I'm sorry. Um, and tried to come. He had an agenda going there. And he was probably looking for self-validation. And trying to get a few brownie points. Um, but really, I, I don't know, Nate. And- but the funniest, thing, the funniest part to me of it is that quite some time ago, Mr. Kenny uh, issued an, an edict where he clearly said um, that MLAs were not to be traveling internationally unless it was uh, critical. Um, And that has been the Mm -hmm. rule that's been in place for more than a few months now. And it was only two days before this trip was announced that that particular piece was removed. And that to me is the most telling part of this this whole situation because as you pointed out earlier we are seeing more and more nurses and healthcare workers posting publicly that they are leaving their profession because they are burnt out we are seeing extremely high covid numbers across the board but it's that moment that mr kenny decided that he needed to remove the rules in regards to mlas traveling internationally because he had received a signal that i wonder if he's talking about the app Maybe. I don't know. Uh, There's an app called he, Signal? There is an app called Signal. I just covered um, Zello this weekend. Fascinating. I don't know what that is. Oh, it was all the CB communication from the Freedom Convoys. Oh, gross. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was something. The other thing that I wanted to just talk about was Mr. Kenny used a tactic that we've seen him using more and more again uh, at the, air quotes, COVID update. And the reason why I'm saying air quotes COVID update is because the first 15 minutes of it had absolutely nothing to do with COVID. They were a stump speech uh, where Mr. Kenny spoke at length about how awesome things are going in Alberta, despite all evidence to the contrary. Um, And what's really interesting is that we actually saw towards the end of the press conference that the whoever it was who was controlling the phones straight up came out and said, uh, we're running out of time for questions because we've got a plane to catch. So not only did Mr. Kenny deliberately filibuster the front end yeah. of a COVID update, but then he used his trip as a rationale for cutting questions, uh, of which there were a whole lot that people were wanting to ask, absolutely short. How long do you think he's going to be able to get away with that move? Uh, as long as he wants, honestly. It's either he tries to uh, gain time by being late or he's filibusting on a rant on the economy for nine minutes. Uh, It's nothing new. It's nothing surprising. What's been interesting, too, with that tactic as a parallel is uh, a lot of his staff has been trying to do comparisons of uh, bed occupancy throughout the years. Some stats apparently came out this week about that. And they're trying to show the... So, Nate, you and I in one of our 
phone calls that they are softening the grounds to lift restrictions. Yes. Miranda Rosen and repairs. Uh, Miss Pip and her freedom. And then we have, but look, four years ago, our bed occupancy was higher. Well, and Pete Guthrie's little video as well. I didn't <laughs> see that one. Honestly, I've been slammed working on the campaign. So I've been like, but I've missed quite a few little items. But um, but really, the parallel of there's trying to, so they're, they're softening the grounds for lifting restrictions. Mr. Kenny is not taking COVID updates as seriously. He's trying to burn time. He is trying to avoid questions. Um, even if the death race is, how many people passed this month? 328 is the latest count or something. If someone knows, please correct me. Um, but it was an extremely, extremely devastating month on the losses for Albertans. He could barely, barely pronounce, you know, an audible apology before he caught his plane. There's, they're softening their ground and they're trying to make us so. Here's how I see it. They are trying to feed us with so much crap in the background, so much stats to be like, yeah, but look, look, five years ago, it was not that bad. Like, we're doing pretty good compared to. And they're trying to control their narrative. And I know I'm annoying with that. I get it. But they are trying to control the narrative to bring it to justify the means, which is the end of restrictions. Which will coincide with spring break and Jason Kenney's leadership review. Breaking news. Yeah, well, that's that's Shocking. a pretty pretty safe bet. Um, so it's going to they they're control freaks. They live in the chamber. They don't understand what's happening. One of the emergent, uh, one of the ICU doctors in Edmonton was saying, "Well, you know, like four years ago, I have I had like around seven six or seven teams working under me and everything was fine nobody was exhausted and she was like only today i have 11 teams and they're all burned out how please tell me how this is better and how are we really fending off better when we need to open field hospitals i would love to know that one like you know bed capacity is one thing but when all your beds are filled with covid patients this is a fake capacity. Yeah. Um, again, controlling the narrative. And there's been plenty to distract from. I mean, uh, yeah. I mentioned the the Pete Guthrie video where he came out and uh, basically uh, condemned everything that Mr. Kenny has done in regards to health restrictions. Um, we saw Jason Steffen this week. He not only attended, apparently, one of the, the convoy stops, but he also posted of his own volition. And this is, this is the thing that I just don't get. He posted of his own volition a series of pictures where he, he was supporting the, I think it's the granary. I want to see granary or granary. I don't know. Granary. 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 Potato, I, potato. I, I am francophone. 
Don't ask me how to pronounce something, really. <laughs> well, he, he posted pictures where he was with the, the owner of the, the granary, who was also a big UCP supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the granary is one of the restaurants in Red Deer that has most aggressively denied pub and refused to follow public health restrictions to Puppies the point pictures. where... Puppies pictures. You didn't have to show a a vax passport. All you had to show was a picture of your dog. And this well, we is the all person... know everything's better with puppies. It's true. And I do. I got to, I got to play with a boxer today. It was absolutely wonderful. But I don't know that that would qualify as following health restrictions. And they were shut down by Alberta Health for doing that. Um, at the same time as that's going on and all of the, the other MLAs that you mentioned earlier are going rogue, we are also seeing things heating up in the constituency of Chestermere Strathmere. <gasps> Can it get any spicier? Oh, it's getting so good. So for anybody who hasn't been following it, because there's been all of this other stuff going on, the there was an AGM for the UCP Constituency Association in Chestermere Strathmore, and it saw an influx of people to the board that had not been on the board before, and there were a whole bunch of new members that had never been members or active in the community before, and it saw a complete coup of that existing board. Now, the president of the old board claims to have proof that a lot of the people who were allowed by the party, not the constituency association, but the party, to vote in that uh, AGM did not meet the cutoff. And this has been a source of a lot of controversy because the president, the old president, is saying he's not turning over the bank account to the new president and, and that the whole thing was fixed as punishment for Leela here speaking out against Jason Kenney. And it gets even richer this week because there's been a group of people that have launched a legal challenge against the party asking for third-party arbitration of the results, as well as a repeat of the AGM using accurate information in regards as to who was allowed to vote. And this is not going away anytime soon. It it very much appears that this is going to be a battle that's going to go on for quite a while. And there is speculation that maybe there's some people who want it to be that way, because as you mentioned, we do have a leadership review for Mr. Kenny coming up. And the more that people can talk about the fraudulent ways, potentially fraudulent ways that this constituency association was, uh, what's the, the adjective of cootie totted i don't know i feel like i'm i'm getting all all way too albertan on that one be cooped um, yeah recouped uh the way that this constituency association was flipped could potentially provide insight into some of the tactics that may or may not have been used in the original leadership race but which a lot of people are expressing concerns could be used at this new leadership review so it's a really big deal it's definitely worth paying attention to uh and i suspect that it's only going to get more and more dramatic so it's definitely something that we're going to be watching closely so remember when i said that leela had a haircut her hair yeah the power haircut you you nailed it i got some messages and they were like oh sarah you're exaggerating she's not she's she was gearing herself up for a battle i think i messaged you right after i i i got word that that was what they were doing and i was like man you nailed it with a haircut yeah good (laughs) haircut um 
some other big announcements that came out this week that we want to make sure that we don't ignore, and this is where we're going to go a little bit over time probably. Um, there was a press conference held, I think it was Monday, by the province in regards to the ongoing EMS crisis. Uh, and uh, yes. Mr. Copping stood up and it was a fascinating press conference and I didn't really understand it. And I need to be clear, I am not speaking with any kind of proprietary knowledge and I'm certainly not speaking on behalf of anybody other than myself and the breakdown. But it was fascinating to see Mr. Copping open with, we have a problem with, with EMS resources. We have a problem with EMS units being available. Just last week, and this was an example he used, uh, we saw the fire department in Airdrie have to transport some pretty seriously sick and injured people to the urgent care because they were told there were no ambulances available, there were no ambulances coming. So that's what Mr. Copping opened the press conference with. But then the chief of EMS turned around and said, we have all of these measures that we've already implemented so things should get better and that created a lot of conversation in regards to if you've already done these things and the bad example happened a week ago how can these things be making a dent in the situation and there hasn't been any answers to that particular question but what did come out is they are putting together an ems advisory committee to figure out what the future of ems should look like in the province and perhaps tellingly the chair of that committee is the son of somebody who owned and wait for it because it's just so obvious and everybody can feel da, that it's coming da, da. a private, private ambulance company, company. <laughs> so the chair of the advisory committee that is going to be providing information to the province how to handle the ems situation is somebody whose family made a boatload of money running private ambulances so that's super cool. Also on the committee is the president of the Alberta Paramedic Association, uh, an organization that we've taken out for a walk a couple of times because they have aligned themselves very, very closely um, with the, the UCP and posed for many, many pictures with Minister Shandra over the last couple of years. So super totes objective, I'm sure. Um, Decent lobbying, I will say that. Well, you, you know, you got to give respect to that because you're... Sometimes... I hate to say it, but sometimes you just got to go with it. Also, <laughs> stuff that came out this week, because we still I have three left. Um, oh, dear. The NDP uh, leaked it that they were in a committee meeting where the Auditor General had come forward and said that he wanted to release a series of reports, yes. basically report cards, on the province's response to COVID, which any reasonable person would think is information that deserves to be out there, certainly because so many Albertans have had their lives impacted in so many ways by, the, uh, by not only COVID-19, but the COVID-19 response. Um, and that's also the role of the Auditor General in Alberta. And the committee, every single UCP MLA who sat on that committee voted to block that and to mm -hmm. not have those reports released. So that's not telling at all, is it, Sarah? No, they fucked up. They know it. And again, we're walking to an election year. Um, so really, there's not like at this point coming so close from a a leadership review and election year. Those guys are being whipped. So when we say are being whipped, is that in the party there's a whip, and when we so it's a person. It's not a real whip. It's that a human of. being that we know of. That we know of giving marching orders to the group of MLA from this 
their very own party. So when we say a caucus needs to be whipped, it's that they're being told what to do. Sit pretty, vote against it, because it's going to get ugly if you don't. But I think it's really important for people to be aware of the fact that that happened because for a government and a party that campaigned on increased transparency, when we're talking about the the biggest event in almost everybody, every living person's life, do not allow for that transparency. They never cared. They never cared. Everything they did was performative. Henshaw could have put her foot down how many times? And say, enough with your reopening. Enough with your crazy, useless measures. Enough with delaying um, rapid tests in classes. Enough with everything. Like, really, this, I would say that a very good objective for this government would be performative. You would not be the only person to say that. Uh they fucked up on the response. I think that there would be a lot of things in that report, and I'm just guessing here, that would relate to the best summer ever. And the highest. odds are good. Odds are extremely high. Um, I really want to see if I can foip it, but I won't be able to. Um, but they're like, oops. Oh. It's like my kid coming home with a bad report card, and she's Crumbling it in ball of paper at the bottom of her bag. <laughs> like, but at least she really, can still get it out of the bag. Yeah, but she won't tell us report cards here. Or, hey, have you finished that bag of chips? No. No, I did not. <laughs> this is how very little accountable they're being held. This is how they are being whipped. They are getting marching orders. To follow the party, sit pretty, and make sure Kenny goes through his leadership review. But on the other side, good news, guys. If Kenny, Mr. Kenny, goes through his leadership review and survives, this is good news for the NDP. But the NDP cannot sit on it. And the NDP has a lot of work to do in the 15 months. Please retweet. What? Uh, that's that's been the the line that we've seen coming out of the NDP for all of their. Oh, cons. okay. And by the way, <laughs> and I know some people might be listening. The Canada flag post today. I didn't not see that ne- one. Not necessary. And you kind of hate me for it. It's not as bad as bucket of bacon bad, but it was unnecessary. But I will give them that. They came out really strong against the convoy, which is excellent. But, yeah, please retweet if you agree. I'm triple vaxxed. <laughs> there we go. Um, two, other to- two other sort of important things yes. that people need to know about because they're very bad, and then we'll get to some of the good stuff. Uh, there came a new report out this week as well in regards to Orphan Wells. And the number keeps going up. Right now, the estimate is that in order to clean up the orphan wells, the cost by 2025 is going to be $1.1 
billion. If you don't know what orphan wells are, orphan wells are wells that were drilled uh, by oil and gas companies. And then those oil and gas companies either went bankrupt or merged with other companies and just said, well, we're going to leave these these wells behind. Yeah, we, we promised we'd clean them up, but we're just not going to. And this is this has been an area that there's been a lot of people raising a lot of concern about because the remediation of these sites has often been, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just say piss poor, uh, with a lot of farmers who have allowed their land to be used, expressing that the the remediation was completely incomplete. The the ground is totally toxic. They can't use it for anything, and they're having to try to protect their other ground uh, and their other land from those areas. Um, but the, the, the cost to taxpayers Can we just is going say a, to be... a very special hi to Brett Wilson on that one? If he's listening, yeah, Brett. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Um... <laughs> they, they, they feel sad. They're alone. They, they are. They, they need their daddy. Um, so that's, that's something that people need to be aware of because that's going to be a – the federal government has kicked in a fair amount of money. Uh, in regards to helping to clean them up, but we are a long, long, long way from the finish line. Some people would probably argue that we aren't even near the starting line yet. Um, so that's something that people need to be be aware of. The last item that I want to talk about is a story that 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 we helped. Uh, I don't want to know if I can say break, but certainly amplify because we received a, a DM of the original Facebook post that helped blow this whole thing apart. The final consequence. For Mr. Member of Parliament, George Tahal, has been laid down. For those of you that missed it, George Tahal had picked up his, during the federal election, he was caught on doorbell video camera, which still blows my mind because as somebody who's participated in a couple of political campaigns now, the assumption is always that every door has a video camera. Um, and especially if you see a video camera, the assumption is it's recording. But in the last days of the election, George Chahal was caught on video picking up some of his opponent's campaign literature and replacing it with his own. The final consequence, $500 fine. Mm -hmm. So there's democracy in action. Let's get to the good stuff. Um, because there is some good things. One of them is kind of, I mean, it's its not good, but it's important. And I want to preface this by saying our inclusion of this in the, the good column is not in any way meant to minimize the, the tragedy involved in it um, and in any way suggest that uh, the topic is not a serious one that needs much more attention and much more work. But it's important because it kind of ties back to the narrative that we saw for the topic at the very beginning. One of the things that we see a lot of people, including the Premier of Alberta, talking about ad nauseum is the fact that they believe that COVID is responsible for a catastrophic increase in people dying by suicide. Uh, the official statistics were released this week, and the opposite is true. Now, again, I can't underscore enough. Anytime uh, somebody dies because of suicide, uh, it's a tragedy. 
let's be let's be crystal clear about that but i think that it's really really important that if if we're going to have conversations that include suicide as part of the conversation out of respect for the people who have been affected by it both people who have lost their lives to suicide as well as people who have lost families and loved ones uh family members and loved ones to suicide that we make sure that we're having that conversation accurately and the the results have conclusively shown that for all available data during COVID-19, suicide rates across Alberta and across Canada have actually gone down. So that's kind of good news. In the definitely good news category, though, the AMA, the Alberta Medical Association, came out and released a position on decriminalization of illicit drugs or illicit substances for personal use. And they overwhelmingly came out for decriminalization, um, which is great because one of the things that we keep hearing over and over again when we're talking about uh, substance use issues, addiction issues, substance abuse issues, is that the stigma that's associated with those things is incredibly harmful. It tends to make the situation worse. And a big part of what drives that stigma is the criminalization element. So for the AMA to come out and talk about the fact that they believe that from an evidence-based standpoint, so this is not a, a moral question, this is based on empirical evidence that governments should be pursuing decriminalization of any substance for personal use. I think that's a huge step forward in the conversation. Um, so uh, that's a, that's a, I think uh, a really, really good thing. Um, hey, Nate, I just, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. I, just I saw have it. to go. I have a something happening on something I'm working, so I need to go do some damage control. Absolutely. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, We're almost uh, done, and I can wrap up the, re the, the rest, so no worries. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. Uh, so moving on from there, um, the other piece that's important to, uh, to highlight, and I really want to talk about this because I think that there are some really good things, and there are some really good examples of how people can have peaceful protests that are respectful and have peaceful rallies that are respectful. There was a rally that was held in Lethbridge today advocating for uh, protection of post-secondary education. Uh, it, in many ways, seems to have fallen for the, through the cracks because of the gigantic uh, dumpster fire that's been going on in regards to the I don't I can't even call it a trucker rally because it's not the it's not truckers uh, it's people who want to do bad things I guess um, but there was an incredibly important rally that happened in Lethbridge and those are the kind of things that we need to be talking about because post-secondary education is absolutely under attack in this province right now. We're seeing cuts to universities uh, across the province. Uh, and the fact that teachers and students were able to come together and advocate for quality post-secondary education, which is absolutely an investment in the future of our province and possibly one of the most important ones, um, that was a, a really good thing that I think more people need to be aware of. Uh, um, 
that is all the line items that I have for uh, today's live. Normally, Sarah and I would do a little bit of a back and forth banter, but obviously she had to go. So before we wrap things up, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who's listened to this, whether you're listening to it live right now on our uh, live stream or whether you are listening to it on the podcast. Um, thank you so much. As I started out saying tonight, I'm going to ask the same thing again. Please make sure that you're doing everything that you can to amplify voices of people that are being hurt by the actions of this um, group of people that have desecrated our capital. They have desecrated our monuments. They have behaved in openly racist behavior. They have appropriated First Nation symbols. Please make sure that you're taking some time this week to um, amplify some of the, the voices of people who are experiencing this stuff firsthand um, because that's, that's super important. And like I said at the beginning, if you want to follow a really, really great account, uh, the A at ARC Collective, uh, Kurt Phillips, who we did an interview with a little while ago, he really lays it bare what's going on uh, and who is involved with this uh, effort. I still don't know what to call it. Um, so give them a follow. It's it, it, I, I'll be honest, I've had to come back and forth to that feed uh, in breaks because it is just all so disappointing. But now more than ever, it's more important that we make sure that we're calling out this hateful rhetoric. Uh, we don't allow them to, to gaslight us and we don't allow them to desecrate the 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 work that has been done to make Canada the country that we all want it to be, um, and that's that's really all that I have to say about that tonight. I want to say thank you to Sean for adding a little bit of insight tonight. As always, if you have uh, any sort of comments, if you missed out on the live stream, send us a DM, uh, tag us in a tweet. Uh, and I'm going to put out the ask that, that we put out uh, earlier this weekend. If you see voices that are important in regards to the conversation um, about the damage that this convoy has done, tag us. We will absolutely do our best to, to amplify them. Um, we don't typically retweet without adding anything, but there are some voices that we don't want to try to add our voice to. We just want to let those voices be heard. So we're going to continue to try to do that. So if you see anything, tag us. And as always, this is the plug where I clear the room. If you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, you can always sign up to support us at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. I know I've been talking about it for about a month now, but there is a new mic set that's coming out that I'm really excited for. Uh, and it is through the support that we received through our Patreon page that we're able to do FOIPs and that we're able to do to acquire the equipment that we need that we use during our in-person uh, interviews, which we're really looking forward to getting back to so if uh, you don't mind sacrificing the occasional starbucks you can sign up and support us there and otherwise that's it on behalf of myself and everybody here at the breakdown i want to say again a big thank you 
and we will see you next week. There is a small change that's coming for the next three weeks, though, due to some scheduling issues. We will not be doing these Live at the Space Bars on Sundays for the next three weeks. We'll be doing them on Friday nights. We will make sure that we uh, put up a few tweets and a few graphics to make sure that everybody knows. And as always, the audio will always be available on our podcast stream. Thank you again, everybody. Have a good weekend. Stay safe and take care of yourselves and each other. Good night.